All right, everyone. Welcome into Paydirt Sports, uh, part of the Six Pack Coverage Network. We are back in the virtual studio today. Uh, just me from the Paydirt team. Uh, we do have one familiar face that some of you listeners uh, might have heard from one of my fan profiles, uh, Michigan born and bred, Toe Batista. But we do have a new face, uh, Galen Elkin, uh, another Nashville guy, big Titans fan as well, Vols fan, went to school with Galen. Uh, college with Galen. So we got two very knowledgeable guys in here. Will and Seth got uh, their Valentine's Day duties. I guess I'm just more dedicated uh, than the rest of the Pater team. Uh, Dunny's got the wife, got to take care of business. And I know Seth's driving down to see his girlfriend too. So I'm happy to take the reins while the boys are out of commission. Um, but before we get started, uh, Toe, why don't you kind of give a little background on yourself for any of the listeners that haven't gotten the chance and then Galen uh, follow up after that? Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Trush. Uh, good to be back here. Um, yeah, so I um, I grew up in Detroit for about eight years. So I'm a big uh, Michigan basketball, football, Lions, Pistons, kind of a uh, most of those are uh, my main teams. Then I moved to Brentwood when I was eight, and um, kind of just secondhand became you know just saw Tennessee fans, you know, Bama, Ole Miss, and uh, you know obviously the Titans and Preds too. So you know because those teams play in, in separate conferences too, I was able to kind of piggyback off the Titans, uh, you know, when it's convenient. So I like to think that I, uh, you know, know what's going on, but uh, my heart definitely stays with the, uh, you know, the Lions and the, uh, the Detroit teams. Uh, didn't know that, but glad to know. Uh, my name's Galen Elkin, uh, Nashville born and raised, uh, typical Nashville sports fan. I'll be your, uh, not a Vandy fan, but I am a Bulls fan, a, like a real Nashvilleian. Uh, <laughs> shots at them, but yeah, Titans fan through and through. Uh, slowly getting into the Grizz. Uh, there we go. Yeah, I'm trying them out. I, I'm usually not an NBA person, but I gave the Grizz a go. Uh, Preds fan and uh, National SC. Got to give them some love now. Yeah, gotta. We might have to get a little soccer action going on at some point in this podcast. Yeah, I st- this week too. If anyone's y- into that, yeah. Um. Because we the the new stadium is being built pretty close oh, yeah. to my house, and uh, it's gonna be sick it's huge oh yeah it's uh i think it's the biggest just uh soccer stadium in the united states it might be really uh, yeah i don't Dang. know yeah uh we don't have the biggest one because i mean there's all, all the other yeah. soccer stadiums are there pretty- europe and yeah all that stuff but yeah i guess because most of the mls and soccer teams just play in their nfl yeah. stadium or whatever that is so mm-hmm. oh, that's a nice little factoid yeah <laughs> um but to kick us off, obviously, we had a big game uh, yesterday. The Super Bowl football is officially over. Uh, I'm kind of sad, but what a finish to the season. I mean, it, it, these playoffs might have been the greatest NFL playoffs of all time. I don't know the exact numbers, but it, it feels like almost every game, except kind of the, the, the first weekend, was decided in the last three minutes of, of the game. So I, as a fan, you really can't ask for more. Yeah, no, I think like, I think what's what's most fun too, um, when you th- like look at kind of when you you know just think back at like every single one of those games is you really appreciate like you know how good the quarterback play has really kind of progressed yeah. over you know over. especially over our lifetimes like, you know I think the big reason a lot of these games are close is like a team can be down either fourteen in the fourth quarter or down like you know maybe a touchdown or a field goal with a minute left or even you know you know in the 13 seconds case, yeah. twelve seconds or like you know anything in between there and 
these games, like if you have a good enough quarterback, you're in every single one of those games. Um, and like, so when you have that, and especially with the young crop of quarterbacks, you know, with Burrow, with Herbert, with Mahomes, with Allen, like, you know, these guys are all under probably like 26, 27. Um, so it, it's the amount of talent that I think has really started to trickle down in the league at that position has, uh, I think it really shows up in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the NFL definitely saved itself uh, after that kind of abysmal wild card weekend. Yeah. A lot of those games were rough. That Eagles Blowouts. game, there was there was some bad matchups, but that that kind of it brought up the to some people's point that that extra wild card spot might not be needed. But it, NFL, we're gonna be good. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Galen and I were watching uh, the game over at uh, our buddy's place, and I wanted to bring this up real quick. Galen hit a bet. Uh, the one yard touchdown, he nailed it at the end on that pass interference, uh, that in the end zone that got the, uh, Rams right there. Uh, Galen, why don't you kind of talk about a a little bit of your process behind this one yard touchdown, uh, phenomenon. (laughs) This one's uh, this one's shout out to Thomas Estes. He's the one who's always kind of read it, but it is for some reason, every primetime NFL game. Refs got to make a big play. Someone's got to hold it's defensive pass interference. Something happens. Goal line stand. It gets there. Uh, but believe it or not, that one yard touchdown will happen every game. It's just a matter of when, not how. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone in the room was going crazy. Yeah. It was a, it was a pretty awesome moment. And uh, when you told me you had bet on that, I was like, eh, I mean, what is yeah. the likelihood of that? But I think you're right. Kind of. In those primetime games, just crazy things can happen. Uh, those the refs can even get antsy, like you yeah. said, and they make a they make a call in the end zone because yeah. it could go either way. But it's a primetime game; they have to make the call, mm. um, and, and just gives you more opportunities to get in that one yard tud. So I'm a fan. I might have to uh, start riding it. Yeah, for those what are, who what are the odds on that, by the way. Uh, it's usually like minus one twenty-five or something, but it's a it's just one that you know if you're in a slump, it'll get you out of there. <laughs> you had a bad Sunday morning, it'll fix you. <laughs> That's great. It gets, it gets you out of the grave every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, one kind of storyline that I've been seeing about this Super Bowl, uh, we can get into the players here in a little bit, but a lot of people were pretty pissed at the refs uh, for the discrepancy of the way they called the game first half compared to the second half. Uh, first half, it really seemed like they were letting the boys play, not calling too many penalties. And then there at the end, it seemed like a lot of ticky tack stuff, some suspect holding calls. Um, I mean, do you think, what do we think about the kind of storyline that maybe some of these NFL games are scripted or something gets called (laughs) in, uh, by the refs? I I don't think it's true, but I don't know, just uh, some weird stuff was going on in this game with the refs. So it wasn't very consistent. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, first, I actually think the refs did like a really good job throughout like kind of the first three quarters by and large. I think, yeah, like most people probably bring up that T Higgins 75 yard touchdown to start the first near the second half. Yeah, that was a missed call. But like outside of that, I do really think they let, you know, I I like when refs kind of let them play a little bit more, Um, especially in the secondary when you got guys like Jalen Ramsey or, you know, kind of known around the league for being a little more physical. Um, That being said, like kind of to your point, like, you know, it's the fourth quarter, the minute or two left, like these refs sometimes get antsy. And I think they're almost, you know, afraid of missing the call versus like throwing a flag in in a touchy spot. Um, You know, I think, I think the obvious one that you're probably referring to is like the, you know, that one on cup, I think Mm -hmm. that it really, you know, 
I think the linebacker, like he got, he touched him a little early. And then, you know, when the pass came out, I don't, I think he really did play good defense, but like, you know, in the speed of the moment, I really didn't mind that call. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly do think like, look, I, I really thought the refs did a good job, you know, mm-hmm. could that have gone either way? But like, I thought overall they, they did a good job. Yeah. I think one thing that probably what changes a lot in the fourth quarter, it does get a little more knickknack or whatever with the calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably a lot of it's got to do with the coaches being in, in those rest years yeah. right there the whole time saying, hey, yeah. Cooper Cup's the best wide receiver in the league. He gets separation when he wants it. Watch my guy. Make sure he's keep an eye on him. They're going to grab his jersey. Like, they're going to get in his chest a little quicker, a little later. Um, like, he, he's a good player. you got to be aware of that stuff. Uh, I think that's probably one of the things that why they started to change it. Um, that and, I mean, Cooper Cup just got hot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun to, and I think I I saw some stat, uh, he, all his targets were in that last final drive in the second half. It was like four or five targets. Uh, and to kind of bring this to the Titans a little bit, some people were complaining on Twitter. All right. If you noticed what Stafford did on that last drive and in the fourth quarter, he was hammering cup going after his star receiver I mean, knew who to go to when they needed a play when they were down in the Super Bowl. Um, And then you look at the Titans game when A.J. Brown is our guy. He has 150 yards. He has, I mean, he's just lighting it up. And we just, Tannehill and the coaches didn't seem to be drawing up plays. Maybe he couldn't get open. Maybe it was just Todd Downing being an idiot. Uh, I'm not really too sure, but kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about that when the quarterbacks and the receivers are just synced up. It's fun to watch and Titans could clean that up a little bit. I think, um, I think that was definitely on purpose and uh, Stafford and McVeigh obviously made the right choices and uh, got the dub. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think like, I mean, I completely agree with that. And I think especially is, you know, in that third quarter when the Rams offense got a little stagnant, um, you know, like Stafford really wasn't looking at Cup that often. He was, I forget who the, you know, once OBJ got hurt, there was another white guy they put in who he, he made seen, a couple targets. It was like, man. Is he, it he, Scrum he, Crook or whatever it's, that guy yeah, is? It's something yeah. Crook, yeah, that guy. And he like, he did make a couple good throws, but like, you know, he tried to target like, you know, pretty much anybody other than Cooper Cup. And the fact of the matter is in the fourth quarter, it's like, if you're Stafford in that position and, um, you know, even – I'm pretty sure like Tyler Boyd didn't have a drop all season and he had a big drop in the fourth quarter there too. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think at a certain point, these quarterbacks just have to go to guys who they can just trust where especially like, I think Burrow does a good job too when he's getting sacked seven times. It's like, he knows Jamar Chase. Like, even if he's covered, he can just not even have to like go through his progressions, but kind of just, you know, act like he's not, you know, look something like the safety off and then go back to him. And Stafford ended up doing that with, with cut the whole fourth quarter and Jamar Chase got a lot of targets that fourth quarter too. It's like, it comes down to who do you trust more or less? Mm -hmm. Um, Because these guys are so good at getting open. It's like, you you can't really get too picky at choosing. You just kind of have to go with your stars at that point. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that is something that Tannehill could probably, um, you know, adopt in his game too. Yeah. I think one thing that we're kind of forgetting is Odell Beckham's injury. Yeah, uh, for sure. Which Yeah. You'd think that um, he'd try to feed Cup right after it, but there was a uh, shout-out to Ensworth. Bryson Hopkins made some big catches. Yeah. Uh, so huge there's huge. guys that he that he didn't necessarily know if he could trust them, but Bryson, he'd been a healthy stretch or scratch a couple games and never really got that many reps, but into the playoffs, once Higby went down, he kind of – he stepped up. And uh, it, there was trust, I think, 
quickly after a couple big catches. He said, I can go to you yeah. down. And if you watch that play where uh, Cooper Cup, where it's like the no-look Stafford pass or whatever, yeah, that was you can see the linebackers are, are drawing into Bryson a little bit. And he kind of opened up a little bit for Cooper to get a little bit around. But it was – I think a lot of it was a good play calling from McVay. I mean, he's he knows what he's doing. This is his yeah, second Super genius. Bowl. Yeah, yeah it, it is funny, though, because, like, McVay is, like, like I don't know. He's, like, like he's almost so high IQ for football that he tries to, like – like, the fact that he just was obsessed with the run game in that third and maybe even second quarter is just baffling because it's, like – you know, and I think he finally figured out in the fourth quarter when he's just like, let's throw these quick out routes to, to Hopkins and Cup, like guys who can get open instead of, you know, even if that's a two or three or four yard pass, like mm-hmm. that's much better than just trying to stuff it up the run. Because that Bengals D line, you know, shout out to those guys. Like yeah. they really played their butts off the entire postseason. Um, you know, they held Derrick Henry to barely anything. Um, you know, the Chiefs, they made some big sacks in the second half. Like they played a great game against the Rams too. Um, I think McVay did a good job of adjusting, but he gets a little stubborn sometimes um, with the play calling too, I think. But Yeah, and I, I kind of like how you mentioned McVay being maybe a little too analytical and too high IQ. Uh, it reminds me that time there was a reporter uh, at the Rams practice. They were asking him plays from his time uh, with Washington and he literally, they, they'd say the, the down, the drive, the play, and he would know exactly what happened that play eight years ago, knew where everybody on the field was. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of hear about some of those savants in sports. Um, people talk about it, uh, LeBron a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, some other players that just, and coaches as well. So I think you could be right that maybe goes a little too analytical and kind of doesn't go with the feel of the game and just kind of, it's the same thing as the eye test as a lot of guys talk about, okay, maybe they're not putting up the best stats. They don't have the best saber metrics and all this stuff, but sometimes you just know football, you know, you get that gut feeling and just go with it. So I think uh, you might be right about that with McVay overanalyzing a little bit. Yeah. You can't take the physical aspect out of football. I mean, as analytical as you want to be, Aaron Donald's on on your defense, and he can correct a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, his numbers are—I mean, he's he's a different breed of a human, I think. But I mean, he's got players that he can trust every single play. I think Ramsey—I mean, he fell down a couple times and everything, but that guy throughout the season can shut down a corner or a, a top wide receiver, and he can play in the box. He can do whatever. I, he really can do it all. Yeah, kind of like a hybrid. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of cornerbacks, so uh, I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on Eli Apple. Obviously, we've all seen on Twitter uh, just about everybody and their mother is coming after this guy. Uh, Cup was cooking him. Everybody was cooking him. Do you think it's more on Eli Apple being uh, that bad, or is he just kind of a, a scapegoat here? <laughs> I mean, like, he's that's just like, you know, first clarify like he, he's a very average to below average cornerback um that being said like you know I think if, if the Rams lose I think Ramsey probably gets cooked on Twitter just because like that's how Twitter operates yeah right like you know we we love to fall in love with knee jerk and um you know in the moment reactions I think Eli Apple like definitely like you know this entire postseason run has definitely just gotten lucky against like you know the Tyree Quills or I, I do hate that, like, you know, you got McCole Hardeman coming out of the woodwork who, like, really didn't do anything against the bank. Like, 
you know, it's like if Tyreek Hill is going to talk shit like that makes sense. If Cup's going to talk shit after the game, that makes sense. Like, I, I hate these guys who are the third option wide receivers who are coming out of the woodwork against a guy who, as shitty as Eli Apple as you may think he is, he did just start for, you know, a Super Bowl winning, you yeah. know, an AFC championship winning team. Like, you do have to give him some flowers for that. But, I mean, at the same time, like, also Cooper Cup just had probably one of the greatest wide receiving seasons of all time. Like, you know, he probably would have gotten – you know, any corner in the league, and maybe Jalen Ramsey would have got cooked, and Jalen Ramsey still got cooked. You know, it's like playing that position, you're just bound yeah, to. Yeah, you're going to get cooked. You're going to get burned. You're going to look yeah. stupid. Also, Eli Apple comes from, or he's he's pissed off some pretty prominent uh, fan bases, Saints especially. They're, yeah, and they'll let you know on Twitter right after uh, anytime. So he, he, he didn't have a great postseason, I don't think. I didn't really dive into his uh, stats all year, but I've, never been a big Eli Apple fan out of Ohio state. Right. Yeah. 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 He was supposed to be like really good day. too. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, was he supposed was. to be really, really good. Um, hasn't really shaped up to that though. No, I do love, like, I mean, as dumb as Twitter is like, I mean, I'm, I like Twitter just for like oh, kind yeah. of the shit or like <laughs> for the shit posting aspect of it. And like the NBA kind of has adopted that too, especially with like the recent drama there. Like, I think Eli Apple also, like, he's got a, you know, he leans into it quite some bit as well. So it's like, I, I think it's like, I don't know. I think it's fun for the fans when you see like guys like Eli Apple get cooked, but also like, you know, when he gets his time to talk shit, it's kind of funny on the other end. Like, I, I love when some of these football players kind of, because we know they should talk on the field. I think it's kind of fun oh, to yeah. bring it over to a little more visible platform too. So, you know, I respect Eli Apple for, uh, you know, sticking his neck out there to some extent, but. That's like a corner. He get, I mean, he's doing the Twitter version of like getting burned and then go like the, the overthrown pass or something going back. Yeah. No fly zone. No fly zone. The pass was 10 yards over his yeah. head. Like yeah, he'll get on Twitter and let him know he made a tackle on Hardman or on Hill on the one or something before half. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Whatever. Oh man. Yeah. And, um, there was another Bengals player, and Galen, I'm pretty sure you probably already saw this, uh, uh, a Bengals offensive lineman talking a little bit of trash um, and gave up the game-losing sack. I mean, Donald <laughs> flew right, right around him, Quentin Spain, uh, former Titans, bad offensive lineman. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons tweeted at him, kind of taking a mm -hmm. shot at him, and then Quentin Spain says, yo, uh, Jeff, where do you train this summer? Like, well, uh, like I want to see you in person or something along those lines, kind of inciting that he's going to show up and they're going to fight or something like that. Uh, so I think Quentin Spade, you have no room to talk. Jeffrey Simmons literally dominated that entire offensive line, had three sacks himself. Titans team had nine sacks. Where does Quentin Spain get the gall to be saying all this when he was the dude that got destroyed by Aaron Donald all night long, has been on one of the worst, if not the worst offensive line in the league. It just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> that's part of that's being a football player. I think you yeah. just got to have that mindset. You can't go out there and like, you got to be confident every single play. And those guys, they have the memory of a, a goldfish. Just it's one play at a time. Yeah, that, that is very true. So I guess, because if you're going out there, not being confident, not playing, uh, your best and not going hard, you're going to get dominated because I think um, really the talent level between these players, obviously it differs, but not to a massive degree. So I think kind of like you were talking about earlier, Galen, the physical aspect, who's winning the running game, who's beaten up in the trenches, who's 
kind of just on their game a little bit more, those small things can make such a huge difference in a football game. Yeah. I mean, well, I didn't think like the guy's probably as cocky as he come and he still gets dominated the entire postseason. So if imagine he goes in there acting like he's, you know, like, Oh, what's going to happen to me? I'm going against Jeffrey Simmons. He's going to give up 10 sacks. So it's like, those guys are just trying to find any edge that they possibly can. And, you know, even then it doesn't work out half the time. So his, uh, his Twitter username is still Mr. Undrafted. He's, he's always going to play with a chip on his shoulder and he might have to, he's going to have a big one coming next year. Yeah. Um, Kind of piggybacking into next year, uh, the Bengals defense is probably going to look a lot different. Uh, the Bengals offensive line is going to look very different. Rams might have Aaron Donald retire. That was a possible storyline that was going on and got announced kind of during the game or right before. Um, so, I mean, do you see either of these teams? A lot of people are talking about the Bengals will be back. Uh, don't worry about it. This is a young team. And obviously with Burrow, you, you give yourself a good shot. Um, but it seems like the Rams went all in this year. They're going to be losing a lot of talent. I don't know if they'll be back. Bengals, I could, I don't think they'll go back next year because the odds of that are just insane. Um, but I definitely think they're going to be around uh, the AFC Championship uh, a decent bit these next five, five to eight years and could make another run at one or two Super Bowls. We'll see. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think um... – especially like you kind of just look at the complexion of the league right now is that, I mean, the AFC is just absolutely loaded with young quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at a team like the Bengals who, you know, pretty objectively overachieved this year. Um, but also like, you know, it, it really just comes down to quarterbacking play and like, especially for these guys, like getting lucky towards the end of the game and hoping you have the ball last. Um, so it's like, yeah, the Bengals would probably, you know, if I had to bet, they're probably going to be favorites to win the division next year, but it's also like, you know, they play in a tough division too. It's yeah. like, um, so I, I mean, the Rams are probably in a better, I mean, the Rams division's brutal as well, but like, I think that the NFC next year is really going to be wide open because the Bucks, you know, with Brady potentially, you know, I think he's probably going to be say retired Rogers, who knows what's going to happen with the Packers. So those two divisions kind of up for grabs. So, you know, it's like, you got the Kyler Murray's of the world and then, you know, the Rams did lose a bunch, but I, I would definitely think the Rams are probably up there from, you know, at least like a Super Bowl favorite mine, just because the competition's not very good in the, uh, the NFC next year. Um, but for the AFC, it's just like, you know, it's like, can they build on that offensive line and can they keep the defensive line? Because as you guys saw too, in this entire postseason is those wide receivers can keep you in any game, um, you know, against the game's best corners, even against, you know, with the Bengals with a horrible offensive line is they can find a way to put up points. Um so it just um, – we'll see. I, I do think the Rams are in a much better position just because of the overall landscape. Um, but you can just – you know, the way Joe Burrow kind of conducts himself and Jamar Chase and, you know, those young receivers, is those guys aren't going away anytime soon. Yeah, I think Burrow's definitely going to keep them around there. He's so talented. The game's slowing down for him every single snap, it seems mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Uh, I don't – what was – did they ever say anything about his knee injury uh, into the game? Um, so the the only thing I saw which – it got me fired up from my like seat. Uh, Burrow basically said like, yeah, medical attention came over. I told them I'm not coming out of this game. I didn't even let him look at me. It's a Super Bowl, <laughs> And I was like, that, that is a quarterback that I want on my team that in uh, last year Torres ACL is coming back from a, a terrible yeah. knee injury. And then has gets been getting cranked all year long been taking massive hits in the playoffs as well takes a big one takes a shot hobbles off he's just so tough I mean how can you not love the guy the dude was crawling off against the Titans nine sacks like he just 
he wore every hit and he didn't he didn't complain about it. No. He, he never he just said, I want to I want to throw the ball. I want to go out there. I want to win. He kept he kept his spirits up and that it's infectious. I, like wide receivers start to play better. Like everybody kind of they give a little bit more mix and starts to he starts saying, I'm not going out of bounds here. I'm gonna run you over. I'm gonna it, it's infectious. He's that kind of player, and that's why they're gonna be probably in that kind of contention uh, the next four or five years at the very least, I think. Uh, yeah. team, and Zach Taylor, I actually had a pretty good job coaching. Uh, they're going to, yeah, they're going to be around for a while. I'm not, not too afraid of, uh, it's going to be a packed AFC though, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, what's up? We got another guy in the, uh, how we doing? Uh, Waddy Brooks, diehard Jaguar fan. We are on the clock. <laughs> we got a Jags fan hijacking the podcast. Yeah. Another good friend of mine, Waddy Brooks. Um, Are we doing? We're doing good, man. We're talking a little Super Bowl right now. Having uh, kind of talking about where the Rams and Bengals are going to end up. I think uh, the Rams will uh, continue to do well under McVay, and he's young. He has the talent. I don't know how that salary cap's looking, but he could uh, definitely uh, keep on progressing. But on another note, last night your boy had plus three fifty Cooper Cup lock. <laughs> Hit the big Super Bowl MVP. Appreciate the shout out, Waddy. Always, uh, always love uh, when one of the boys hits a big bet. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'm always tuning in. Go Jags. <laughs> Always terrible. Of course, it's a Jags fan hijacking the podcast. Uh, you wouldn't expect anything else from their fans. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, keep going, Toe. Yeah, I, I thought you brought up an interesting point to some, like how, especially at the quarterback position, how, uh, you know, a lot of the players will kind of like take the lead and take the cue from from the quarterback, right? Where you see Joe Burrow, who's, you know, getting absolutely just battered pretty much the entire postseason, but continues to, you know, keep battling, get up, make big plays. Like that does inspire confidence. And I think like, I'm curious your guys' take from kind of like the, just like from looking at it in like the lens of the Titans, when you see like, you know, a guy like Tannehill who, you know, he has his ups, has his downs, has his nice moments. Like something that I've seen just from, you know, not being a Titans fan, but just kind of watching them casually is like, I don't know how much of that locker room really, you know, like, like Joe Burrow is the guy in that locker room, right? Like, and like Derrick Henry, you know, I think is the guy, but also I, I think you need that from kind of the quarterback who's, who needs to make the big throws as you saw in the playoffs too. Like, how do you guys see that with Tannehill or like, you know, how, what do you guys just like think from that regard? Yeah. I, and I want to kind of kick off uh, the, the Titans talk here, what we're doing uh, in the off season with that talk. I'm not super down on Tannehill. Um, I think he's still a huge leader on the team, but I think it does mean a little bit more. Um, you get a little bit more out of your players when your quarterback is the best dude on the offense. Um, it, it just, when everybody's kind of fallen into place behind him and he's the leader on the team. Um, I think that was like a big miss for Mariota. Uh, everybody loved him and everybody on the team thought he was a great guy, but he never was that passionate fired up leader at quarterback uh, that can really just elevate the team. Like Galen was talking about um, it, inspiration wise if the 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 quarterback is down and like kyler murray for example how he was pouting on the bench when they were uh losing to the rams it's infectious it's infectious from both the positive and negative sides so you got to have that vocal confident strong leader and i think it just it, it almost doubles when they're the quarterback 
Um, so I think Tannehill from a leadership standpoint is probably fine. Play wise, obviously has made some big mistakes. I think you can still win with him. Um, but going forward, it seems like J Rob and Vrabel are locked into Tannehill, the Rogers stuff, building his house down in Franklin kind of seems like that's just a, a house for him to retire, uh, into. So I don't really see any changes being made. We're not going to go trade for Russ. We'd have to give up five first round picks or some crazy, crazy stuff like that. Tannehill's got a big contract. I think you move with him forward. Um, I think we can bolster up the offensive line a little bit. Age wise is, is getting up there. Um, Lawan's getting old. Saffold's old. Ben Jones is old. Whole left side is pretty old. Um, so I think that's the, the first move you make. And something interesting that I saw, and I feel like I agree with for sure, Mitchell Schwartz, uh, the former Chiefs offensive lineman, was basically talking about how after quarterback, offensive line, I mean, this shows you they need to be number two on the kind of docket of building your team. And if you look at the past, uh, I can't remember how many, I think it was since 2008, the salaries of the starting running backs of the Super Bowl winners, there wasn't like one over 2 million. Um, so I think you've got to focus on those big positions, left tackle, quarterback. Um, and I think that's where the Titans need to go first. So we'll see. A lot of options out there. Yeah. I think one thing that gets kind of forgotten about is we don't have Art Smith anymore. And Tannehill yeah. kind of lost some trust along the way. And I think a similar thing, I think Buck Rising talked about it, like he had his Bayard year. Bayard in yeah. 2020 had that bad year. Everyone, like he wasn't making plays everywhere. It wasn't the same Mayor Murphy's borough that we, that we got used to, all pros. It's, I think a little bit it was trust with Tannehill. Um, you lose a guy like Art who like you go into games and you're like, we're, we've got this ready from the script. And there were so many games where we started off and it was like, what was this? Like, what was the play script? Like, what were we thinking? And uh, I mean, that also that's losing guys left and right. I mean, when NWI is your wide receiver one, you don't really dial up a play for him. No. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of it was trust and I still believe in Tannehill. He's the guy going forward. John Robinson said it best. He's, he's had to say it like three times on the radio where he's like, yeah, there, we, I don't know how to say this any clearer. These are quarterback going forward. So I'm, I'm not, and he's still got it in him. Like we, we, there were times where we needed a last minute drive. The dude steps up and there's so many, and one thing about the leadership thing, there's so many like Bayard Simmons, those guys are so vocal and they're, leadership is it's very seen and Derek's the same way too almost now he you see him videos of him breaking down the huddles uh kind of lifting everybody up uh Tannehill I mean he's he kind of like he's not your your main guy on the on the graphic or whatever when your team's playing and that kind of sometimes guys look around they don't believe it but I mean I think AJ Brown just having that kind of trust in Tannehill it's that's what's going to be that's the guy you need to have trust in that no one yeah, I, I kind of more asked this question just coming from like a devil's advocate point of view, but like seeing what the Rams did this past offseason where they kind of just realized, OK, we've got a lot of talent around the ball, but we need a, an upgrade at quarterback. And not to say that, that Tannehill is the same as golf was, obviously, but like as good as that defensive line was this year, as good as the secondary really played, it had some big moments throughout the year. Like and, I, you know, again, I don't know if this is really a realistic scenario, but like is there any like thought in your guys's mind where you think like, okay, maybe do we try to flip Tannehill and get rid of a pick or two, you know, for a Russ for 
you know, one of these kind of old time, maybe an Aaron Rodgers, like, is that something that's potentially in the cards where it's like, does Tannehill potentially cap your ceiling when, you know, you, you try to put as good guys, you know, as you can at the offensive line, at the defensive line, but you can only do so much. Like what, like, is that ever a thought process for, do you think um, A-Rob right now, or, you know, what do you think? I mean, I think it's definitely in the back of people's minds. I think really just look into the next three years. Um, I don't know if there's a feasible opportunity. Now, if there was something where we could get Russ for Tannehill and one first round pick, I'd probably do that. I'd probably go for it. But I mean, I just don't think you, you find a feasible deal like that. Guys are going to be asking for too much. Aaron Rodgers is uh, going to get 45 million from green Bay, or at least that's what they're offering. If, if uh, he takes that. So maybe Tannehill caps your ceiling a little bit, but I think that ceiling is still a super bowl contender. I mean, it's not like we're going to be destroying everyone in the playoffs. We know who the Titans are. It's going to be close nitty gritty games one at the last minute. Um, So I think, yeah, maybe Tannehill doesn't give you the ability to blow out teams like the, the chiefs did to the Steelers. Uh, But he definitely gives, he he gives you a chance to win the game. Um, And a lot of people like you were talking about uh, knee jerk reactions, recency bias. I mean, you look at one game. Yeah. He has three picks. He played terribly. The, the play calling was bad, but you look at, look at his career since he joined Tennessee, you look at that as a whole, I don't think he can be too down and, to to kind of finish up here answering your question toe it's definitely something in the back of my mind entertained and kind of thought about but just from cap room wise uh and not trying to to screw us for the next five years but then in turn if you screw yourself for five years but you win a super bowl does it really matter that much like i'd i'd take five losing seasons if it means we win a super bowl and i get to see the titans win so you you can kind of go both ways there yeah uh, it's, I don't think that, I think it's the caps definitely is still Super Bowl with Tannehill. Um, you, you take that option when you can get a Russell Wilson. Um, he's, he's a Super Bowl winner. You know, the guy can do it. He's done it in the past. Uh, but it, it's also a question of, does he fit the system? Uh, what he, is it really the right move? Uh, cause I mean, there's times where quarterbacks will move or, and it just doesn't, it, something's not right. So, uh, I still, I'm still in on Tannehill. Uh, I wouldn't, I think this is a bad year. Um, I mean, the amount of injuries we had, it's still staggering the way he, the guys he was throwing to at times, Cody Hollister. Don't get me <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were, we, we had guys coming off the streets running for hundred yards, like on games. Yeah. It made Hilliard look like he could play for anybody. So I mean, that might just show how much talent's really in the NFL and then what I think that shows how strong the system is. I think Todd Downing and uh, Rabel, they're going to figure it out. Yeah, and I think uh, Kelly coming in as the passing game coordinator, that could make a huge difference. Um, There's just a lot of options. I don't know, but Toe, to kind of flip the script on you a little bit here, uh, the Lions aren't in the best situation. Obviously, we're talking about the uh, Gall-Stafford trade that clearly worked out for one side of that team. Um, wh- where do you think the, the Lions go from here? Yeah, the Lions actually, um, you know, probably more of a byproduct of the fact that their division is really self-destructing in front of their very eyes, have a decent chance to be competitive um, in the next year or two. Um, you know, the Bears and the Vikings both fired their head coach and GM. 
the Packers, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, but objectively could be uh, kind of a suspect, you know, rebuild. They don't want to build around Jordan Love. Like, they, you know, it could be, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. The Lions, obviously, were the second worst team in the league, so it's not like we're a finished product by any means. Um, but like, you know, you guys were kind of mentioned how that, that wide receiving room got a little thin for the Titans. Um, you know, in week one, it was horrible for the Lions. Yeah. Um, you know, they just had absolutely no depth there. Hawkinson was hurt. Um, DeAndre Swift was hurt. Like this year, you know, they had, for a, a horrible team as is to deal with injuries, they kind of stood no chance. Um, that being said, I think next year, you know, they do have a really good offensive line returning. They, DeAndre yeah. Swift hopefully is healthy. Um, I think their number one, you know, offseason move is, and you kind of see it with these teams in the playoffs is like when you're in close games, you need guys, like we were talking about, you need guys you can trust to get open and they just never had those. So these, the lions do a great job of staying in games. Um, but this year they just had no one who could they really trust to make a play. Um, they got a rookie among um, St. Ross St. Brown, who yeah, um, he could really be had a good, yeah, he had yeah, a he massive year. Yeah. He had a massive second half of the year. Um, so I think they're really going to rely on him to, to make a big sophomore step. Um, and then, you know, if they can just, poach another good like wide receiver two wide receiver three and just like build out that uh receiving core i do think they're gonna have a pretty good offense next year like i said they have the number two pick in the draft i think they're gonna go d line with that as well um so i i do think there is hope for the lions i'm curious you know they have some cap room as well akuda um is coming back off injury from from last year as well like the lions do are they're you know i i say this you know with a grain of salt because they are the lions but they do have some pieces going for them next year that i'm actually optimistic um for the first time in a while because last year you kind of knew you know they, and like i said they still they have you know the byproduct of that stafford trade is you end up with two first round picks as well i mean granted the rams won the super bowl so they're, they're not great first round picks but um you know just having you know first and second round picks that you can kind of have at disposal where you can afford to have some misses in some of those spots mm-hmm. um I, I think at least, um, you know, I, I do think there's hope for the Lions moving forward. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how the, uh, this offseason shakes out for them. I think that, yeah, there's definitely pieces to build around for the Lions. I think Penny Sewell is going to be a, an outstanding yeah. left tackle for, their, for 20 15 years. years. Yeah. The guy, the guy, I mean, there, I watched some of the highlights of him versus Aaron Donald the other day, and he was throwing him around. And he's still young. He's going to be really yep. young. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, you know, they got Frank Ragnow. It's the highest paid center in the yeah. league. He's really good. They got Taylor Decker, right tackle, who's a uh, very good offensive. Like Hawkinson's, you know, a top five tight end. Like it, it's yeah, funny, because they, you know, they do really have some good pieces there. So, and, you know, with the uncertainty that's kind of in their division, they, they have a chance to, uh, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to win the division because they'll probably win four games next year. <laughs> but like there is, there is hope. Um, and they're trending in the right direction, which are, you know, words that you never really put in the same sentence with the Lions in recent history. So I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what happens. Good to hear a little optimism out of the uh, Detroit fan base. It's been a rough couple of years. Yeah, well, when you go rough, first round, uh, number one overall <laughs> and then number two overall, <laughs> like, there's really you can only go drop so much worse than that. So it's like it's not even optimism, but it's like, OK, we can double our win count for next year and still be a, a bottom <laughs> half team in the NFL. So we'll see. All right, boys. Well, why don't we make a quick transition over to college basketball really quickly before we get into the NBA? Um some big stuff kind of shaken up here with Auburn no longer being number one. Uh, Gonzaga coming in at number one now. Uh, some big games this past weekend. Tennessee getting the W over Vanderbilt. Um, 
Memphis beating number six, Houston. That was a pretty big upset. Uh, we got Kansas and what Oklahoma state tonight. Uh, so some kind of interesting things going on here. Michigan, not doing too well. Uh, to Tennessee kind of hitting their stride. Uh, before we get into the Tennessee talk, why don't you talk a little Michigan basketball toe? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be completely honest, there's really not that much to talk about. It's really pretty much underwhelmed and very underperformed. They had a top five recruiting class, you know, an all big 10 player and Hunter Dickinson coming back. Former SoCon player of the year, Devontae Jones is the point guard this year. And they just really have struggled to defend and, um, you know, kind of score the basketball. Like a good trade of, of Michigan, you know, they were the one seed last year um, of teams that have really succeeded in the passes. You know, they, they have a lot of guys who could beat you, you know, off the dribble, but they have a lot of guys who can create for others. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Franz Wagner last year who, you know, was he, he played three most of the year, but he averaged like four or five assists this year. And what I always look for good – you know, uh, college basketball teams, and you see it with Gonzaga, you see it with Auburn, you see it with Duke, is you have guys who can create for other people. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of guys in the NBA, excuse me, in college basketball who are just more athletic or can shoot over guys and can score at will. Um, but especially in March, if you really want to make a run, is you need a lot of guys who can create easy shots for others. Um, and that's just something that Michigan has mightily struggled with this, um, with this year. And then when you also just have – you know, Hunter Dickinson, who's, uh, you know, he's been averaging like 20 and 10 this year. It's like if he's really the only guy, teams are OK with him getting 20 if they know these other guys aren't going to beat you. Um, and it, it suddenly makes you that easier to guard. And, and that's really where Michigan struggled. Um, but um, and then that's why, like, you know, kind of looking at the SEC teams like the Kentuckys of the world, too. It's like, yeah, they have Oscar Shibway in the paint who just eats up everything. But like, you know, their point guard Wheeler gets a, like Kellen Grady gets like five wide open threes a game. Cause that point guard's so good at penetrating. Um, so I, especially as we start kind of winding down into uh, conference play and, you know, tournaments and March Madness coming up here, I like to look for some of these teams that really have good guard play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great point you make. And I, I feel like that's what separates a good player from a great player is when you can elevate your team and make other players better, not even just creating shots, but just making other players better is such a hard thing to do in basketball, and it, 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 it's the greats that did it. I mean, you talk about Kobe, you talk about Michael, you talk about LeBron. Uh, all those players' teammates played better when they were out there on the floor across the board. Right, and and I think, like, sorry for drawing it on here, but, like, I think it's almost been a very overused term is, like, okay, this guy makes his teammates better. Um, and, it, like, it's always usually a quantitative thing. Like, Oh, it's because he gets assists. It's all oh, because he gets rebounds, but like, it's the complete opposite of that. Like guys who make their teammates better, like, yeah, like they're giving them open shots because they draw a lot of attention, but it's guys who like in fast break can, you know, as I talked about it last time I was, you know, talking to you, it was like guys who dictate the pace where like the defense is always kind of feels like they're scrambling when a yeah. certain guy is on the court um, where that guy you know, he's okay. You know, Auburn's a great example of this too. Is like their cards are okay with getting beat off the bounce because they have Walker Kessler, Jabari Smith behind them. Like that. Send it 10. You know, Kessler, Kessler you know, exactly. Like Walker Kessler is a guy who has like one assist a game. He, you know, he scores probably 10 or 12 points, but like he makes his teammates better because of how unstoppable he is on the defensive end. Right. Um, and so I, I think like when you have that, but then you also see it like in a lot of different players on the team who kind of like, make their teammates better in different ways. That's when you really can see how a team starts to gel. And I think that's really why Auburn's gotten so good here. It's like they have a guy, a lot of guys who complement each other. Well, yeah. 
I think when you see teams making that extra pass, it kind of it, – it's sometimes when a team's high, you can see them doing that Spurs thing where they swing around the three, drive, yeah. make one more pass or something. You see the defense running around. It, you can tell when a team's just like kind of clicking and everyone's on the same page. And those guys, when, you, when you're seeing that pass and you know it's coming to you, you start to play with a little more confidence, I think. And you start to hit those threes or you, you start to think they're going to go at least. Yeah. No, that's a big thing. Um, but talking a little Tennessee basketball, kind of hitting our stride right now. Uh, obviously, just lost Olivier Kamwa, which is going to be uh, a big loss on both ends of the floor, really. Uh, good low post score as well as uh, inside defender. But I think uh, it's something we can overcome and obviously going to have to rely on Fulkerson kind of getting back into the shape um, and Fulkerson that we knew and loved previously. Uh, he's obviously coming off the bench now for Euros, who's uh, actually had a pretty good season um, and has really stepped up. But offensively, I think Tennessee still has uh, some woes and like it sucked uh, uh, against Vanderbilt. Didn't Kenley Chandler have zero points in the first half? I mean, it, you never would have thought that would have happened, but um, I don't know. I still feel like we're in good shape. I feel like we're hitting our stride. We're so good defensively that I think we can make some noise in the SEC tournament and then potentially do it in March. Um, Rick Barnes, uh, when you got him as a coach, you never know what's going to happen in March, though, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's guys, Ziegler's hit his stride perfectly this year. Yeah. He, Barnes, is, I kind of figured out his rotation. Um, losing Nkamwa is huge uh, on the boards. Uh, the guy who, He's a big guy who could space it. We don't really have anyone else who can do that. I don't think uh, Hadley Hunfield had a, had a couple elbow jumpers. Um, he's going to have to step up big time. Yeah. And uh, they're having to play uh, James Adu. I think is that. Yeah. Is it- yeah. Yeah. I, we'll I, he's, he's a project I think, but he's going to be good in the future. He's a four-star guy. He, he's got a lot of potential going forward and Hadley Hunfield's got to live up to some of that, that pretty much five-star. Yeah, five-star yeah. height. Yeah, he's got to um, step up, and Kennedy can't have those zero-point first halves if we want to do any damage in the SEC tournament. But we gotta, we got to keep playing hot. Um, this Kentucky game is going to be a huge one, yeah. at least. This is kind of the litmus test, I think, um, to fully tell where our team is at right now. I mean, you're getting one of the hottest teams in the country, can shoot the ball, lights out. They beat the living crap out of us the last time we played, put up, what, 107 points? Yeah. Um, so it's it's going to be tough, but right now Tennessee's favored by two. Yeah. Um, and we've got a, a undefeated uh, Galen. Weren't you saying we're undefeated yeah. at home this year? Yeah. So yeah, big street. Yeah, something like that. Thirteen and zero or twelve and zero at home now. Yeah. And, and one thing that's always that's helping a lot is Viscovi's shooting the lights out. Yeah, man, has he stepped yeah. his game up this year too? Yeah, he had a good camp uh, this this summer. I think Coach Barnes definitely whipped him up a little bit. Uh, just having him play confident too is just—it's fun to watch. He does behind the back pass or whatever. He—it's—he brings a little flair to the game, and uh, everyone kind of feeds off that. You'll see Kennedy get hyped up. You'll see the whatever the wrist biting thing always. Oh yeah, <laughs> going to TBA. So love to see it. Yeah, I mean, I think a guy like that too. You know, who obviously he's not going to beat these guys. You know, Ty Ty Washington off the dribble every time, but like he's a guy for Tennessee who I think helps them out tremendously. Just to like for the amount of stretches where they can kind of go like, you know, they kind of forget how to play basketball on the offensive end. Sometimes it's like a guy like that, who just really does a good job of like loosening up a team. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, him just, like, when, he, when he's a, when he's a, you know, hitting like shots or he's doing some of these passes, it's like, 
it kind of like de-stresses a lot of the guys on the team where it's like, okay, like, you know, maybe I don't need to like have to, you know, take on the ownership of, I need to beat my guy off the dribble every time. Or like, you know, Ziegler's really done a great job of like taking a lot of that burden off of Kennedy Chandler too. I know he didn't play well against Vandy, but it's like when you have guys like that who like can just take off pressure of even, you know, Fulkerson, I know he's coming off the bench now too, but like, I think part of the reason he struggles sometimes is Fulky as a guy who is, you know, and I see this from a lot of guys on Michigan who are either seniors, fifth year seniors who've been there and like, they have honestly a lot of pressure to be kind of that, that even keel presence. They almost kind of like act, or, you know, they almost want like expect too much of themselves. Like, okay, I need to do this or I need to score. I need to get rebounds where it's like, if you can just have more guys like Vescovy who can just like, you know, who get in their spots who don't really rush the game, but like who take advantage of those opportunities. Like that almost like translates to the rest of the guys too, because it, it makes their job easier of like, okay, I don't need to do it or I don't need to play my best game. If I've got somebody else like, you know, making things easy for me. Um, so I, I really look for him, especially against, you know, an athletic team such as Kentucky, where, you know, he's, he's probably going to need to play well. And he's, you know, probably offensively as well as like, you know, he, he's going to be very important. So it's going to be fun to watch how he, uh, how he handles that pressure too. Yeah. And he likes to play physically on defense. And I think one thing we got to watch is making sure he can stay on the court. Uh, he yeah. likes to put his hands a lot and stuff and uh, play that kind of European style, I guess, in a way. Uh, but he's he's a physical defender, and it's kind of fun when he go, goes up against Ty Ty Washington, someone who's got wheels, and uh, Kennedy feeds off of it too. It's it it's uh it's it's installed in all the Barnes point guards now, I think. Yeah, ever since Jordan Bone. Yeah, he's kind of he built the mold there. Kevin Punter. <laughs> yeah, no, Kevin That's Punter and was it uh, <laughs> Brian Williams straight. were getting fired yeah. up on Twitter yeah. because they've been erased from the ball history yeah. books. Yeah, the no New York love for them was uh, was funny to see on Twitter. Yeah, a little disrespectful, but uh, I don't know if it was on purpose. I think they're reading it, reading into it a little much. Um, <laughs> and you probably don't need to be getting worried about Twitter graphics. Uh, I'm sure they've got more important business to to tend to. But, I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, so why don't we, we, we don't have too much time here left, but I certainly did want to hit the NBA real quick. Cause we, we had some crazy stuff happen, obviously with the trade deadline. Um, and the, the, the big elephant in the room, obviously is Simmons and Harden being flipped. Um, I mean, I think it comes down to whichever player puts forth more effort. <laughs> on their team that's really who is going to decide uh who the winner of that trade is uh but it, i think both guys needed a fresh start for sure but it, it's kind of weird to see harden basically doing the same thing to houston only one year later to brooklyn now complaining and uh, just not being able to gel so we'll see if he can do it in philly i don't know yeah i, I think you bring up a great you know that it's kind of funny goes like who will try harder but you're you're exactly right and I really do think the answer to that though, especially is like with what you've seen with Harden with the past two years and like people do kind of forget up until he requested that trade for Houston. It's like Harden was a guy who never really took load management as, you know, he loves to party, but like he never really got hurt. Like he was as durable for literally yeah. his entire career mm -hmm. um, when it came to playing um, as crazy as it sounds. I think he only missed like, I want to say like 50 games in like 12 years, which is, um, you know, That's it's insane. pretty insane for, for a guy who, you know, gets, he was as physical as a player as he is. Um, but I, I think the Nets are have, and I think will is it's probably, I think going to show in the next couple of months here, I think they're going to win the trade mainly because like, 
I mean, Simmons is a guy where he really is in the perfect scenario where he can kind of just be a ball screener and attack the rim and then just like shoot layups essentially like in, in Philly, he, in the playoffs, he was the guy who really had to create for a lot of other people. And like him and MB never, like you can't really run it that pick and roll. Cause you know, Simmons is never a threat, you know, to shoot the ball. So you just always yeah. go under those screens or switch or whatever. But like, he, you know, when he, you surround him with Patty Mills, with KD, with Seth Curry, like those are three of the best shooters. I mean, Kyrie obviously as well. Like that's just an unstoppable offensive lineup. And they were, they're really, and I think kind of some underrated parts of that trade too, is like, the Nets were incredibly weak at center. Andre Drummond, I mean, I can't stand him, but he is a body out there. <laughs> like, so he gives them a little bit of depth as well. I mean, Seth Curry, like I said, is an unbelievable shooter. Was really playing well for the Sixers since he got yeah. there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the Nets really, really got the better end of this trade. I also just think Harden's just kind of like, kind of a soft, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I just, I have a hard time seeing Harden turn into the guy that he was, uh, you know, with the Rockets is like, yeah, he's a 35-point scorer, but, like, you know, Embiid's a guy who who loves the ball in his hands, too, and I, I do think they're going to gel well, but, like, I just – I have much more faith in Simmons being able to turn it on than Harden at this point in their careers. Um, not that Harden's not capable, but um, I think the Nets definitely end up winning this trade. Yeah. I think uh, one thing that we've never seen Harden really do on, on his own team is do through a full seven-game series be – be that same athlete that he usually is. Like he'll, he'll, there'll be a game where he like, I don't know, he puts up 13 or something. It looks like the guy yeah. didn't the night before. He might not, <laughs> but like there, and, and beads kind of had that same thing too, where he fatigued a little in that Hawk series a little bit. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a lot of just like them having to carry the team. And maybe they're going to try to do something like they did with Maury where they stagger their minutes a little bit. And when they're not playing together all the time, yeah. but they're, uh, they're taking big chunks of, all right, this is James Harden time. And then it's for a quarter or so, and then let him be rest. Uh, don't go through him every time. Cause these t- quick turnarounds for NBA games, especially in the playoffs are kind of, they're, they they're wear you down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a, another interesting aspect of this too, is like, usually when a black excuse <laughs> blockbuster trade, like happens, like obviously, you know, it happens in the off season where you have, you have training camp. You have like the first half of the season to really like kind of fiddle with different rotations, really figure out, you know, what the guys, you know, the other star you're playing with, what they like, what they don't like. Like, I think the Nets right now are, I, they're probably the odds on favorite if I had to guess um, for the, you know, the NBA championship one or two, but like, especially when you do have teams that are going to, especially in the playoffs, like be able to change their coverages and like mess on, on a, such a game by game basis that like having chemistry with some of these guys becomes so much more important. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like, it's going to be very interesting to see. And like, I also like, I think that's what's been a problem with some of like the LeBron teams in the past five years. It's like, yeah, they end up making to the finals because they're Bron- but like, it's so hard for these teams to figure out how to play off each other when they only really have like a month and a half of regular season. Um, and I, I think that's something you're going to see the Nets really struggle with. And I think, that's where you're going to see teams like the Hawks per se, or even like the Bucks, where I think they're probably going to in the heat too. Like, I think they're going to almost overperform more. So I'm, I'm actually curious, but like might be a little hot take, but I guarantee you out of those three teams, one of them's probably going to make the finals over the Nets and the Sixers. I, I just think like it's too hard in a month and a half to completely retool your entire team and refigure out rotations, how to play off each other. I know the Nets have all the talent in the world, but like, 
I think that's a very underrated, and you know, Kyrie's only played like 10 games this year or something like that too. Like, I think a very understated part of that is how long it takes for some of these guys to figure each other out. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see how that translates in the playoffs because I, I think they're going to struggle more than the average fan is uh, is taking credit for at the time, or right now, I should say. Yeah, and the, the, the next trade that I wanted to talk about, which isn't quite of a blockbuster, but still uh, a star being traded, Kristaps Porzingis heading off to the Washington Wizards. Kind of just bum franchise out there, I feel like. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to move the needle, um, but it'll be interesting to see how he does. He, he can't really stay healthy, has bounced around a lot, obviously, from the Knicks to Dallas, and uh, we'll see how he does in Washington. Yeah, I think um, I, I I think, and you you could probably, you know, Trusha, you, you know, you watch a lot of basketball, you probably tell this too. Is like, I think it got to the point where Doncic and Porzingis just really didn't like playing with each other. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because like Porzingis is like he's a very tough guy to play with because like he's not like I don't know like, he, for as big as he is, he really doesn't have a great motor. He kind of lacks a days goal defensively because he's yeah. so tall. He can really get away with a lot. Um, and I think Luca's the type of guy who almost like, you know, he's only 23. Like they brought Porzingis to kind of be the one, a one B kind of star duo. And I mm-hmm. think Luca almost because he's just a ball dominant guy. Like, I almost don't think he needs a one B. I think like he, if he can just be the guy, he is so good at creating for other people that you don't need like a stretch four who's just going to like, you know, be a kick out for, for Luca. I think you, I think the, the path for him is you almost, kind of like either the, the LeBron route is essentially you get shooters. a bunch of shooters. like shooters around them and you get a bunch of athletic bigs. Um, and so that's what I think the Mavs are trying to do is with a guy like Dinwiddie is, you know, he is a guy who can put it on the, you know, he had some good years with the Nets where he just yeah, shot the lights really out years. and he can create, like, I think that's kind of what they recognize is like, let's just get guys who are just athletic, who are going to be rim runners and then shooters and, and see where that goes. Cause I think that that's, what is was the most telling thing about this trade is I, I don't think Porzingis really just fit well. And I don't really think they like playing with each other. Um, so I, I think he's kind of now in, in basketball purgatory where I, I can see him really kind of just moving over. Like he's just an asset. I, I really don't think the wizards are, you know, who knows what they're going to do with him. But um, I think that that more showed, I think more so showed to me how the Mavs are trying to just re- completely retool around Luca, which I think is going to be, an, um, I'm, I'm here for it. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Him. Yeah. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what Harden did at the Rockets a little bit, where they had Compella and then they were yeah. around him. Exactly. Yep. You'll have a guy who can play defense, like, uh, I don't know, just stuff like that. They can kind of cover for Luca, I think. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting yeah. to see. And I think I I'm mean, excited to see where the Mavericks go. They're, they're such a young team and so talented. It's funny, too. Like, I don't know if it was directly the first game after the trade, but maybe one or two where, where Luca puts drops like 28 in the first quarter, like almost as like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, fuck Just, you, Porzingis. I didn't need you. <laughs> Just give me the ball and let me shoot every time. Because um, he's, he's really been playing well lately, too. So I'm hoping like they can because they do. It, it's not almost at the point, but like Luca, like they got to start really figuring out how they can build a championship team around them. And I, I think, you know, with that, I think you almost got to be a little more impatient as a GM. And I think that's what they're kind of becoming is like, okay, we only get this guy for X amount of time at his peak. We just need to try as many things as possible and try to be as fluid as we can and agile as we can. And I think that's what they're trying out here. So it's uh, I'm interested to see kind of how that progresses too. Cause obviously like, you know, this isn't going to be the year for them. They're probably maybe a year or two out from that as well, but 
I think they're, they're starting to realize that they got to shake things up. So it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah. yeah I got- wanted- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, Jason Kidd's got a full plate on him right now. Just yeah. trying to figure out this team. Yeah. I think people, yeah, under, underestimating how important Rick Carlisle was to that franchise for completely so- agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Rick Carlisle, I mean, he's so proven. I, I loved him as a coach and he, he was kind of that one guy that you, you always knew was with Dallas. Like he had been there for so long, had done uh, a great job, um, had had that relationship with Mark Cuban, kind of built that team together and uh, were successful for, for so long. So, uh, but things are changing. Uh, the, the game is changing a lot. So I think a lot of these teams are just trying to, to change kind of the, the old mindset, go to the three ball, small ball game. Um, that's just kind of where the game is moving right now. Um, I did want to talk about the Grizzlies real quick before uh, we close out here. So the Grizzlies have set the franchise record for the fastest time to 40 wins. I think it's safe to say John Morant and this Grizzlies team uh, has surpassed those Tony Allen, Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Marcus Gasol teams in terms of a one-year team. I think this is the greatest team the Grizzlies have had. Uh, we'll, we'll see in the playoffs if they get bounced first round, I might have to recant that statement, but, uh, <laughs> I was about to say that's, that's a, fair, that's a, that's yeah. a high take in the middle of February for as good as those Christie's were. So but, yeah, uh, they did make that Western conference finals run and, uh, ended up getting swept by the Spurs, but beat a, a very good Clippers team and a, a good Thunder team as well. So th- they have a lot to live up to, but I think the, the talent and now that the Jaron Jackson jr. Is fully healthy. He is playing out of his mind on the defensive end. Uh, Desmond Bain, obviously coming up shooting lights out and still don't even have Dylan Brooks yet, who is going to be a huge addition uh, into the lineup. So we'll, we'll see what happens in February, but uh, I think this is a uh, very, very good Grizzlies team. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I was jokingly saying that, but at the same time, it's like they are absolutely legit. I mean, they've the thing is, too, is like they're just blowing teams out, too. Like, I, I think, you know, kind of a hallmark of, of especially like the Warriors teams of late is like there really are no wasted regular season nights for those guys. Like they would come in and just really just beat the shit out of every team that they played. Um, and they, they refuse really to take nights off. And I think when you see a good trade of this Grizzlies team is they kind of don't really take their opponents lightly, whether it's the Pistons, whether it's the Lakers, yeah. whether it's the Suns, like they come in and they really just like, they play their asses off. Um, and I, you kind of see it with the Cavs too. The reason why I think they really yeah, played well DJ. too is like, you, if you you have a lot of young guys who all just like really just love playing basketball, you know, don't really have egos, like don't care who scores. Like, they're a really hard team to play against. Um, some, so I, you know, I love watching them play. First of all, something that I am, you know, looking at Jaws, you know, for Jaws' perspective and for kind of for his art for his career is like something I always like to notice in uh, in playoff basketball is like the biggest difference between like the Kawhis, the Kades, the Lebrons, and then that next year below is how well they play in the playoffs. You know, game you were talking yeah. about how like how hard it has the tendency to just kind of disappear for playoff series and like. I think that's what's, you know, Paul George was kind of known for <laughs> some shitty playoff series. As playoff well. And and I think that's what kind of, um, you know, really, you know, especially, you know, he's still young. So it's not like, you, you know, he does, if Ja doesn't play well in this playoff, you know, run, then you don't write him rough, obviously. But it, it's going to be interesting where you saw like last year with Julius Randle, where he had a, an amazing regular season, gets to the playoff. The Hawks make him very one-dimensional. He sucks in that and I would kind of like kind of busted confidence. his game. Yeah. It's like, you know, he's having a down year. 
I saw something oh, about his plus minus this year is horrible or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's I mean, and it's kind of tanked the Knicks season. Like, they've kind of just lost um, kind of their edge a, a little bit as well. Um, so I, I think it because in the playoffs, it's like, you know, you really get to key in on some of like, you know, on the best players because like there's less possessions, you know, defense gets a little tired in the playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how Jock kind of how he looks as being the guy, you know, with the target on his back in the playoffs, because, you know, he's, you know, he was used to playing, you know, last year against the jazz with no pressure. Now, you know, you've got home court, like you're expected to win that first playoff series. Um, and especially as, you know, as loaded as the West is, it's going to be interesting to see not only how Jock plays, but how, you know, Jaron Jackson, for example, for Dylan Brooks, like, you know, a lot of those guys haven't really been in some of these, uh, you know, pressure situations in the playoffs where uh, you have the target on your back. So, I'm very interested to see. I think Jaw, obviously, I'm, I'm excited to see. Like, he's just an absolute killer. Um, so I, I think he's going to be just fine. But it's um, – I always like the playoffs as, like, a good indicator on, the, you know, have you actually, like, arrived yet as a team, as a franchise? And it will be interesting to see how the Grizzlies fare this year uh, in that regard. Because, I mean, like I said, they've been as about as impressive in the regular season as any team I've seen this year. So, Yeah. They're must-watch TV when you when you get a chance oh, to yeah. watch when Jaw does. He's on he's on your Instagram probably every morning. And yeah, yeah, he, he does it daily. He's a he's a, he's a star in the making for sure. I think, but and the, the whole team's building around him. They're fun to watch. They're 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 talking their shit to LeBron. They're yeah yeah they they're not afraid of anyone right now. That's it's no, exactly. fun to watch their young kids. They're they're doing their thing. They got Stephen Adams out there just being the bully. And protect the inside. They 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 shoot the ball. Zaire Williams stepping up. Like, yeah, he has stepped up a lot. They're all they're all fun to watch. Um. Well, boys, I think we're about out of time. There was one college athlete uh, and college team that I did want to shout out before we close out here. Uh, talking a little D two women's basketball. The Lady Pacers with a 30-point win. Um, Let's go. For, for those paydirt listeners that you don't know, I have two twin younger sisters um, who play at uh, South Carolina Aiken, down in Aiken, South Carolina, of course. Uh, but huge win. Both played great. But uh, Emily had a career night, career high of 23 points uh, to go along with eight boards and four assists in a 30-point win against Flagler. Uh, very good team in the conference so I had to give them a shout out, man. I was, uh, I was at the game this weekend, got to see it in person. I know toe, uh, we've talked about it. We got to get a boys trip down there to go cheer them on at some point here soon. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. I would like to shout that out as well. Cause I, it's, you know, from what I've heard, you know, it seems like they've had a great start to their college career and it's always a good reminder of who really got the athletic genes in the truthful family. Cause <laughs> time and time again, we're reminded it's not you. Dave. So I'm glad yeah. there's at least somewhere in the family, but no shout out to them. That's, that's awesome. Glad you yeah. Got it was, it was huge. I had a lot of fun seeing them. Um, and I'll be back down there in Dahlonega, Georgia. They're going to take on North Georgia, number 19, North Georgia. Uh, so they're, they're number one in the conference right now. They're the one with the targets on their back. So lady Pacers, they got a shot to, to upset the world here. Nice. All right. I'll be, I'll be cheering for them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, guys, that's about it. Galen and toe. I really appreciate you coming on and filling in for us. Uh, listeners out there, check us out on Instagram at paydirt sports. That's one word, uh, on Twitter at paydirt underscore sports. You can also go check out the website, paydirtsports.blog. Uh, got tons of cool articles. I know, uh, Seth has really been firing them out over there. So check that out. Um, and then, Listen to the podcast pretty much wherever uh, you listen to your podcast normally, Apple, Spotify, all the above. 
Uh, but guys, that's pretty much all I got. Any closing statements from you? Uh, happy birthday to the goat, Steve McNair. Oh, yeah. I can't <laughs> believe I left that out. Galen yeah. even texted me earlier Eric today. Nair. Eric there, shout out. Valentine's Day birthday. That's always a huge one. Um, but thank you again, guys. We'll have to uh, do this again at some point. Uh, pay dirt out. Oh.